Smuggling Hope, Episode 18, Rebels with a Cause. Are you happy, Stephen? And Stephen looks at Wanda and says, I am. And he lies. And Wanda looks back at Stephen and says, I want to live in a universe where I'm happy. That's a conversation between the Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff, and Dr. Stephen Strange, a.k.a. Dr. Strange, from the Multiverse of Madness, the last Marvel movie, I think, that I've watched. And one of the things that I highlight and I will continue to talk about, and I think that is marketed throughout that, that, that movie and in our world, is this desire to be happy. To be happy to the point of madness, as is shown in that movie. And uh, it, it, it has a destructive and a, uh, you know, you know, a power of, of corruption. Because happiness is not something that necessarily is uh, sustainable, right? You cannot sustain happiness. It, kind of, it constantly is moving away. But this is promoted. This is what our young people are dealing with. This question of happiness. So the break from reality, this obsession with happiness started probably about a hundred years ago where, you know, we started to become, I think, probably more uh, comfortable as a society and uh, you know, less grateful and less aware of the realities, both spiritually and those that are just implicit in our own world. And so prior to a hundred years ago, people were not fixated on happiness, right? You ask a teenager, you ask a young person today, a lot of them are talking about happiness, what they need to be happy, what they need to be happy, that they're not happy. And the truth is, is that we weren't necessarily made for, you know, comfort, as, as, uh, um, as uh, Pope Benedict had said, we are made for greatness. And people uh, 100 years ago, they didn't worry about happiness. They wanted to ask a different question. The question wasn't about how can I become happy? The question was, how can I live a good life? And now nobody asks that question at all. So far as that we have movies about superheroes that become supervillains because they are consumed with that conundrum, that problem of trying to be happy. And uh, uh, we have to make sure that we have better answers, unfortunately, than Hollywood. But this is where we've, we've landed up. And, but it does speak of the culture and it speaks of what we talk about today as we try to guide and effectively, uh, you know, lead our young people and our teenagers to Christ and away from the self. As I've said on the show before, and I'll say it again, is we go to hell the degree to which we go to ourself, and we go to heaven to the degree we can go to Jesus Christ. And, you know, that will look very different at times to different people, but the math is always the same. And, uh, you know, many people are being trained to go to the self, and that is the movement of in mass, uh, you know, uh, of the culture upon these young people. Go to the self. It's about how you feel. It's about you. So far that they are depressed and anxious and isolated and hyper-confused about all types of things. Um, and, and yet we've still not been able to uh, bring up the question of living a good life. What does that look like? Why is that important? So you have to realize that, in general, our educational system is failing. Now, it doesn't mean that your kid's school is failing. If you are an educator, it doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. But I'll give you an example. 
education's main aim is to turn your your child or your young person, your teenager, your college student into a consumer. So let me explain. You go to school and you get good grades. You get good grades so that you can get into a good college. You get into a good college so that you can you know learn things, so that you can get a good job, so that you can buy stuff. And it's the buying stuff where everything ends, right? The, the, you know, so whether you are a anesthesiologist who makes five hundred thousand dollars a year, or you are a, you know, um, a janitor of a local high school, you know, but and make forty grand a year, you know, you are both consumers. You have not. It does not mean you've learned how to live a good life. It does not mean that you are happier than one or the other. It doesn't mean that you have more meaning than the other. It just means you are a better consumer. And that is what we've promoted on pretty much um, every level of education. Um, and so that's caused huge, uh, huge, huge problems for our young people so far that they, they don't necessarily understand even the point of work or the gift that work is. So what we've been left with is this consumerism on one hand, and the other dimension of it is that we have been fixated on achievement um, in, in, in high school and in college and in grammar school. If your kid is in school, they are learning how to uh, achieve and compete. Hence, this is a big component of why we see bullying, because competition without really an, an effective goal means that people are just constantly vying for position and, and they don't have necessarily a, a focus. And if you don't know how to be constructive, you become destructive by default. So the behaviors we're seeing rise up in the school systems, the violence, the bullying, the cyberbullying. I mean, everything has been accelerated through technology is that we have young people that in many ways they compete without knowledge of who they are um, for positions that they really don't even maybe even want, but they feel like they have to. I have to try out for this team. Okay. I've nothing, there's nothing against athletics. There's nothing against doing your best in school. But the problem is, is that the more we praise children, especially for achievements, um, we make them anxious. And then they, they unfortunately can't tolerate setbacks very well. We, we make them brittle. It's far better for us to focus on effort uh, on all levels of, of investment than just mere achievement, because achievement is not always sustainable. You might win a championship one year and the next year you might not. You might win a game, you might get the best grade in math and the next you know, semester you might not. And can you tolerate that? Can you deal with the fact that life is unfair? Can you deal with the fact that there's somebody cooler than you, faster than you? Can you deal with the fact that you're gonna get older and somebody younger is going to take your place on this team or in this position? And so in many ways, we need to realize that if we want to care for young people, if we want to educate young people, the primary goal is to train them up for reality, which is what I've been saying in multiple podcasts on this topic. And so, again, this is, again, you know, important. If it's not connected to reality, the young person is going to feel controlled or they are going to buck the system, so to speak. They're going to push you away. But we need to make sure we have a good grip on reality and that we're not just trying to protect young people from reality. The truth is, is that they are going to get rejected, many of them. They are going to get hurt by the world. And so they need to be prepared to engage the world, to change the world. You know, we either, they either get trained to change the world or have the world change them. And the world is aggressive. 
on all fronts, trying to turn your child into or your best friend or your teenage nephew or the students in your classroom into consumers, you know, consumers that will buy things and they will, you know, they will trade in their comfort or trade in their, their, their freedoms for comfort, temporary comfort. So we need to make sure that we are training people up for reality. And the reality is, is that there is a level of competition, but competition cannot be the end because in the end, somebody else will, if you're a winner one day, you'll be a loser the next day. So there are four levels of fulfillment that if we care about young people, we have to have an understanding of and understand what's missing for our own um, situation. So the first two levels of fulfillment of the human person have to do with, you know, your basic needs, right? Do you have food, clothing, shelter, safety? Okay, that's a basic need, right? You know, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, although I'm not, you know, Maslow is, was, was wrong about a lot of things, in my opinion, and very, very odd, um, you know, personally. So, you know, but what are your basic needs? You know, you know, you're not sleeping in a cardboard box. Great. You know, so hopefully you're not there. The second thing, the second area or level of fulfillment is what we call agency needs. That means that you have now the ability to take a vacation or buy nicer food or buy nicer clothes or send your kid to a more expensive school. That's what we call an agency need, right? You can get your nails done. You can go on a cruise, but that's where it stops. That's where education stops. That's where most of these things just stop in general. So the, the, the other two levels of fulfillment are relational, meaning your ability to connect with other people and form meaningful relationships. And then the highest level of fulfillment is spiritual, which helps us to transform our experiences of suffering and limitation by creating and understanding and connecting to a narrative, a story of meaning, right? So, you know, Christianity, it, it, you know, Catholicism is a specific story that, that in many, it's not, it's not, you know, just a story by any stretch, but it is a narrative. It is a love story between God and people, you know, the Jewish people initially, right? The Israelites, and then Jesus being revealed as the son of God in real historical time. That is a story with incredibly compelling uh, realities that affect people, right? But that is the, the, the spiritual meaning and fulfillment. So, you know, we want to take young people through all of these. Most of the time, we're just focused on agency needs and making sure that they can, you know, afford a vacation or live on their own. But that's not sufficient. Not sufficient for our world, not sufficient for the people we love. Have you ever wondered what the leading cause of divorce is? It's not addiction, infidelity, lack of intimacy, or incompatibility. It's actually criticism. Criticism underlies all the behaviors that lead to divorce. Criticism kills connection between married couples. If you want to learn ways to stop criticizing and start connecting with your spouse, check out heartsrenewed.org for dynamic exercises on how to shape new conversations with your spouse that will give you the kind of marriage you signed up for, all from the comfort of your home. Now the question gets raised, how do we keep our children, our young people, our teenagers uh, connected to their faith throughout their young adulthood? Um, and the, the truth is, is that we need to not get cut off from our own relationship with Christ. And we need to be able to live, live our faith 
and have a relationship where our behaviors as parents um, are informed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot fixate on the child nor make the child God. The child, you know, whether they're 30, whether they're 12, whether they're 16, whatever the age of the other person is, they cannot become your God. You have to look at Jesus and then the other person. So you want to start with your own relationship and figure out like how comfortable or uncomfortable you are with the relationship with Jesus, because holiness is the most attractive thing. And if your life, the way you live your faith is not attractive to you, you know, um, it's definitely not going to be attractive to your child, whether they're 16, 17, 18, 20, you know, and even if they're making bad decisions and it is attractive to them, maybe they won't be able to come uh, they, they need to be able to come back to something that's attractive. So you want to make sure that your faith is attractive to you. A lot of times people are, you know, concerned. They think that the faith, you know, they think that like being Catholic or being a Christian person is somehow uncool. It's almost like listen, like believing in the Easter bunny or something like that, you know, um, or, you know, the, you know, that somehow Jesus is like the tooth fairy. These are compelling and very real um, things. And I think a lot of us, you know, uh, we get into this weird defensive posture. Um, you know, our, our role is really to introduce our, our young people to Jesus Christ, but it's an inside out job and we should not be uh, hiding. You know, um, we should not be trying to hide from it. Uh, we want to invite our children into the adventure that it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, and, and that takes uh, a bunch of different components. One of the components as parents that we have to have for ourselves is greater discipline. Discipline so that we can be able to serve the moment and listen to the voice of God. Because we cannot, again, we cannot always be doing things from an emotional place. When I give my child direction, it has to be connected to reality. If, if my young, you know, my teenage daughter or son, whoever it is, you know, is given a curfew, the curfew has to make sense in reality. It can't be just like, I want you home at midnight and that's just the way we do things. I want you home by 10 o'clock because that's the way we do things. No, it has to do with the fact that, well, I care about you and you're going to need enough sleep because tomorrow you have to work or you have school or tomorrow we have to get up early and I have to get your younger siblings to practice and I need you to be rested. I care about you. And when you don't sleep enough, you are not very um, patient. It's very hard for you to take care of, you know, you know, th these responsibilities. So you need to be in bed by a certain time. You know, it's not about us controlling our children. It's about us forming them. You know, you know my wife and myself, we'd had this conversation years ago where we, we met a lot of people. We've met a lot of people, I guess, in the more, um, I guess, conservative Catholic circles that put their children in bubbles. And if you're one of those people, you know, I guess I get that in some regard that you want to protect your children from the world. But here's the problem. The world is going to get at them at some point. And so we don't want to leave our children out in the cold like we would like a plant. We don't want to put a little plant in a pot, you know, and and put it outside for the rain and the, 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 the snow and the, the cold and the heat. Instead, we'd probably put that plant, especially if we find it very important and it's very delicate, to put in a greenhouse where we can control at least the internal temperature that, that, that you know, but, but again, the plant itself is exposed to 
you know, the realities, you know, the, the plant has the ability to, you know, you know, uh, be out there in a controlled way, but to be out there, not to hide things. Bubbles are popped. And so I encourage you to, you know, when you have the ability to work with young people that you try to produce a greenhouse for them, whereby that they have the ability to experience reality, but in a way that is manageable. Um, because again, you know, the, the way that young people are growing up today is overwhelming. But to try to believe, to believe for a second that, they, that they're not going to be exposed to the world is ridiculous. And they can go to every Catholic institution that you want and, and come up with their own Catholic commune you know, of righteousness. But the problem is, is then they're going to fail at evangelization. They're going to fail to engage people that Jesus has sent us out to evangelize, people that we need to love. And if they're not able to do that because they've just been around people who are just like them for 20 years, well, then that's a problem because now they're going to meet those people with fear, most likely. And so we don't want our young people moving with fear. We want them to be free. We want them to be the most attractive. We don't want them to be oddities. We don't want them to be awkward. We want them to have a a sense of confidence. You You know, young people, Catholic young people should be the most confident. And yet that's not necessarily what I see most of the time. You know, they, they oftentimes, like, we, we fall into these prejudices and judgments, and we can't even tolerate people who participate in different rites or, you know, Protestant brothers or, you know, you know Jewish, you know, or, you know, you know, agnostic or people that have no faith. Instead, we look at them like, you know, at the level of their sin, and we become bad witnesses. So we do not want people to go too far to the right, nor do we want to go so far to the left, and be so open-minded as the saying is that our brains fall out. Holiness, though, should be the most attractive thing. And, and people need to see us living holy lives, starting with parents or if you're in ministry or you're a teacher, is your life attractive to you? And if not, where do you need to increase in discipline so that you can manifest that? Where is it that you need to increase in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that is primarily what the discipline is for, because we are discipled to him. It's not to be a a disciple to some, you know, uh, some guru from self-help or something, you know, from the the self-help network of people, right? Because there's many things that the world has picked up that the Catholic Church has lost. And I've seen wonderful things, you know, that people have come up with that, you know, um, that, that help to improve. But that is, that, that is not the end. I can't just focus on one component. I need to be directed towards a relationship with Christ. That's the end goal. So having discipline and having your own hidden life, you know, with Jesus Christ and the disciplines required to maintain that will allow you to really um, be relaxed and to be present with the young people in your life, whether they're your own teens, whether they're people that you do youth ministry with, whether young adults, whether they are, you know, um, high school students, whether they're, you know, college people, whatever it is that's going on. But you need to be able to see what's good in them and you need to relax. You can't be, you know, so so afraid of how far off they are or where they've come from. You have to be able to see the good in them because that's what God sees first. All of the, the young people that you meet and you yourself, all teens and young people, they have superpowers. And if you think about it, like just like superheroes, they have gifts and superpowers. And we as, as loving adults in their life, if we are going to help form them, we have to help them recognize what their superpowers are and direct them towards, again, living a good life, living the best, most fulfilling life. 
and, and really like to, to channel that. And um, because the world is going to see what's good in them and destroy them or, or uh, try to consume them, try to possess them, you know, um, so that they cannot use their superpower. That's the, that's the whole thing. Or they're going to focus on using that power to serve themselves and become a villain in their own life. So we need to study what's good in our children, in our students, in the teens, in our youth program, wherever. And we need to know what their superpowers are because they don't know. And oftentimes that's where they go back to competition. And so, you know, what we do by inviting Christ into the relationship with our young people, whether it's, you know, teens at home or school or ministry or whatever, is we replace the competition with contribution. These young people are gifts, so they must figure out what those gifts are, develop discipline to enhance them, and to be able to share that giftedness with the world. But again, we have to be in this process ourselves. If we have not done this process ourselves, or we're not engaged in this process, it, it will be too tense and it will be manipulation and people will feel like we are trying to force them rather or manipulate them rather than inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It, the, Christianity is an invitation. It is not a manipulation. Real Christianity is. Real Christianity is always an invitation. Jesus says, come and follow me. He doesn't say you must. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't rattle off your sins to convince you that he's God. He basically just starts to, you know, he sees what's good in you and invites you in. So the, the first thing, like I said, is the discipline in your personal relationship. The second thing is really to study the goodness of the young people because the world will see that as well. But instead of trying to bring about it and bring about great saints and holy men and women, it will try to discourage them, confuse them, use them and abuse them. And they will have to conform to the world. You know, every young person is given a drug when they're a kid. And that drug is this desire for acceptance, this desire for approval. You've experienced it yourself. That's why you act the way you do on first dates. That's why you've done what you've done with your business, your job, with your boss, with your employees. That's why we worry about other people and their opinions. We need to dash all of that. We have to get rid of that drug from our kids' lives so that they're not seeking the approval of other people, but they start seeking the approval of Christ by seeing people such as yourself live consistently with that message. Again, if you don't know what Jesus thinks about certain things, especially yourself, then you're kind of going to need to go back to that. Because in that, that is everything comes from that relationship. Everything comes from that relationship. So we replace competition with contribution. Your child, this teen, this person in ministry, they are a gift. How can they share that? They have a superpower. And again, if you don't know what your superpower is, well, then I encourage you to figure it out. Now, there is a, a VIA character strengths survey that I think is pretty cool. I'll put a link to it in the podcast episode. It takes about an hour to complete. The good people at Penn State do all of the, well, not all of, but many of the the, the studies and research on positive psychological uh, work. And you take that, that survey and it will give you a diagnostic impression of where your character strengths and virtues are. And you can do it with your, your young people. You can do it with a teen. Sometimes it's really powerful to see as, a, as an individual psychological test that's de designed to see your strengths and, and character virtues. And so we start with the virtues and the character strengths. So again, check that out after the podcast. Look at the, you know, the, the, the description of this one and look for the VIA character strengths survey and just type that in. It's 
your information is not kept for anything other than research, okay? They're not trying to take your, your identity or anything. But we, we start with the good because we also have to recognize where our young people are going to struggle. We all have vices and we have, you know, virtues, right? So, but again, to have those conversations about vices and stuff, we have to have another conversation first, which is we have to know what our young people's dreams are. Because remember, like if they're not constructive, they're going to become destructive by default because they're designed to think about the future. They're designed to really be hopeful. But what we've seen really like increase in the last three years since COVID, what a diabolical mess this is, is that young people have a very difficult, difficult time thinking about a future. Some of them don't want to work, don't want to go to school, don't want to get married, don't want to even date, you know, and, and are paralyzed with indecision. So we, we need to have conversations, though, once we can build up the confidence of our young people. And sometimes one way that we can do that is to give them just natural responsibilities and encourage the growth of those responsibilities, both in the house, right, create harmony in the house. How can you be responsible for you know, your, your meals or, you know, your laundry or your room or the shared bathroom that you have with your siblings or, you know, a responsibility of running a small group, you know, if it's, if it's, uh, you know, uh, youth ministry or at school, maybe somebody is given greater responsibility on the sports team or to head up a club. We want to encourage young people to take greater responsibility because they are to be leaders and you, you, you need to take responsibility if you want to lead. Otherwise, life just keeps happening to you. And we don't want our young people learning helplessness. So that's another key thing, right? Because once the responsibility and the, it goes up, the confidence goes up, you know, we talk about the key character strengths, and then they can start to think about like their future. Um, it's very hard for a young person to think about and talk about their future if their confidence is low. So that's why if your, your young person struggles with this or they're depressed or you fear they might be depressed, it's always helpful just to go back to really helping them understand where they've been successful, what their gifts and talents are, getting them to use them more frequently um, because that will enhance, again, their, their, their positive identity. And the, all of this creates a gratitude because you're providing what the world does not provide. The world only provides competition and this discouragement and this desire for them to be consumed, right? You know, whether it's through, through, through hedonism, you know, the sexual pleasure, the, the, the appetites of the flesh, whether it's they're going to get a lot of money or they're going to get a lot of likes on Instagram or, you know, people are going to love their TikTok. Or, I have no idea. You know, again, it's consumerism. They're being consumed and they don't even know it, right? And so the, the second component after the confidence is built, as we're talking about this, is this vision, getting an understanding of the young person's vision, vision and their dreams. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you're a married Catholic looking for a way to smuggle more hope into your marriage, check out heartsrenewed.org. There you will find dynamic online resources designed to transform your marriage from the comfort of your own home. The online program and marriage masterclass is designed to fit anyone's budget. You can start today for as little as $1, but we know that your marriage is worth more than that. So stop making excuses and start investing in your marriage today. People 
people become more spiritually alive the more that they are connected to their dreams, right? So, you know, and, and this also allows us to hold our young people accountable. So if, if I have a, um, you know, I have a young person that says they really want to have a, they want to be married someday, they really want to have a family, and they're in a really, really bad relationship, then the question becomes, we, we bring back, if I know that young person, because we've talked and I've talked to them about what I find is attractive and what they've done well in their life, and they know that I care about them. Well, then I can ask them, like, I know you've told me that you you really wanted to have a family and to be in a loving relationship. How is this relationship helping you get there? Do you think that your future spouse would really want to be connected to this person? They Would they want you? How would they feel about the person you're dating? And it's not manipulating the young person. It's just creating tension with how they're living, with how they want to be and what they want in their life. You know, you said that you want to really be healthier or be more fit or you wanted to be, you know, on varsity next year. And yet I don't see you even go outside and get on, get, get a walk in or you don't go to the gym like you said. And I, I don't know, like, is that really something that you want? Do you really want to be on varsity? Do you really want to be the captain of this team? Do you really want to succeed in your business? You said you wanted to do landscaping, but we've talked about this for months now and you never went down to file the paperwork and so it's it's asking better questions the questions that help to clarify what the person's vision is so any setbacks that a young person has any perceived vices that a person has we the the vices we want to avoid the whole idea that we're judging people and the way we do that is that we connect it because it's a service right it's a service of love or fraternal correction in the sense that like you're made for more than just what what's going on but i can't have that conversation if i don't know what their dreams are so it's super important that we understand the young person's dreams because any setback any anything even small things like you said you wanted more freedom you said that you wanted to be you know able to you know you wanted us to trust you when you choose to come home three hours later than curfew you know how is that helping you think how is that helping to, to increase like our, our, our comfort. Like you said that you, you, you desired for us to feel, you know, uh, relaxed at home, that you wanted to have a good relationship between me and, and, and your, uh, and your father, or me and your, your mother. And now like you've done this, like, how is this going to help you? And sometimes those questions are never even answered because the point of those questions is not to move the mouth. The question is to move the child or the young person's mind to the present moment so that their conscience can continue to be formed and to get clarity over what they want and how they live. All too often, we rescue our young people from their their consequences, or we don't want the tension. We just want to give them an answer. We think that they really care about our wisdom. But the truth is, is very rarely do people want wisdom. I mean, that, that would be wonderful if they do. And sometimes they, our kids will come to us and they'll say, what do I do, dad? What do I do, mom? What do I do, teacher? And that's a powerful moment because you have great, great trust from that person. But a lot of times we have to be the ones to trust them by giving them kind of a, a, an ability to pause and reflect and say, you're living inconsistently right now. And that doesn't look like a good fit for you. So how can you get back on track? You know, and, it, and it's language just like that, right? 
So sometimes like, you know, things happen. So I'll give you an example of, of how language works. Well, imagine like that you did, we'll do a thought experiment for a minute. Imagine you did something really wrong, right? The worst thing that you can imagine. Now don't tell me about it. Just keep it in your mind. Now I'm going to ask you a series of questions, but keep in mind the, the mistake you made. Why did you do it? How come you kept doing it? How many people did that hurt? And my favorite, what's wrong with you? Now, I hear these, these things pop out of my mouth. I know that I struggle with using the wisdom that I possess. But I want you to do the same thought experiment. Again, you've screwed up, right? You've screwed up, so keep that in your mind. But I'm going to ask you a series of other questions, and I want you to notice which one permits greater possibility for me and you if we were, you know, to work together, which would, which would be more attractive for you to want to continue to talk to me. So the same thing, you got that, you got that, you did that bad thing, you screwed up. I'm going to ask you, how'd you stop? What do you know now that you didn't know then? What did you learn that you would want to teach somebody else if, you know, to, to help them? You know, how have you become stronger because of this? You know? And again, those, those ways of talking about stuff, one way we can talk through shame, and shame produces fear, and it actually creates an identity that becomes more and more negative, and then almost more and more fixated on other people's opinions. So we actually weaken the person. Or we can invite without shame into like, you know, an ability to pause and reflect on, you know, uh, framing up the experience as a learning opportunity. So I want you to think that all mistakes, all setbacks in your child's life need to be seen as a learning experience, but we're always learning about reality. This is learning, you know, this is when they don't do their homework. This is when they struggle with substances. This is when they struggle with sexuality things. This is when they struggle with just blatant disobedience. This is when they struggle with, you know, conformity to maybe what the Catholic Church teaches. And it's important that, you know, and, and that is a huge component to this is people uh, need to know what the Catholic Church Church actually teaches so that you're not necessarily making this about you. So this is the other thing. If you're going to teach your young people about the faith, it's important that you have a catechism and that you recognize you're not going to know every answer to every question. It's success if your young people are asking questions because it means they're engaged. For people to ask questions, whether they're 10, whether they're 40, whatever the age is, you know, if they're, you know, because adolescence goes on to you're 45 now, I think. So you're young out there. You're young. If you're 44, you're still young, apparently, according to the American Psychological Association. I think adolescence is way longer than you it used to be. So, uh, so but, but I want you to think that if I'm going to present, you know, matters of faith, I need to make sure that I have a catechism and that I understand, you know, how to answer these questions and answer them sometimes by saying, I don't know, but I will find out. But the thing that is more powerful, I think, oftentimes in keeping a connection and keeping a reality to um, the faith is, number one, to practice humility and to apologize and to take responsibility in your relationship with your child. So does this mean that you, you, you take the blame for all your kids' bad behavior? Heck no. But the thing is, is that humility allows your child to be receptive and open to you because they see 
that you are imperfect and that you are working on yourself. Otherwise, you immediately become fake. The faith becomes fake and it just becomes another hammer to hit people over the head with, you know, to get them to do something. And that's not true, but that's how it is experienced for young people. So let's say, for instance, like your young person, you know, again, is, you know, struggling with whatever um, or there's an argument you know, you, you can say like, I really am, I'm really sorry the way that I handled that. I have to work on my patience. I was very short with you. Um, or I was very, uh, I've been very distracted and that's, you are the most important, you know, uh, you're way more important than my phone. You're way more important than what I have going on at work. And I'm sorry that I failed to be present to you. And the child may say, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, but we do not want the child to be resentful. We do not want the faith to become like dry bones. And one of the greatest ways we can preserve that is one humility, right? And so by admitting where we can take responsibility, because there's always something I can take responsibility for. And that allows me to maintain my leadership in the dynamic of parent-child relationship and my authority. Because um, authority is is either given, right? But, uh, but, uh, but for the most part, I have to take authority by taking responsibility. You know, if my kid is, um, you know, late for school or if they are really terrible to their friends and I discover that for whatever reason, I can say, you know, I'm very sorry. Somehow I, things have been off track and I have failed to teach you these things that are very important. And I'm sorry because it's caused a great deal of harm to other people or it's caused a great deal of harm in your friendships. And we need to really work on that. That's very different than saying what the hell is wrong with you. It's very different than saying, like, you know, you're making Jesus cry. Why aren't you a good person? I sent you to Catholic school. What the heck? I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life.